All right, we're going to read our passage. Uh, you can see it on your handout. Can I have your handout, Drew, actually? <coughs> Thanks. This is the word of the Lord from Genesis. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. From Genesis 2 now. Then the Lord God said, It's not good that the man should be alone. I'll make him a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. This is God's word. It is completely true and it's given to us in love. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for the chance to dig into your word tonight, to wrestle with you as you reveal yourself in the Bible. I ask, Lord, that you would elevate my humble words and, um, Lord, that you would say something to us by your Holy Spirit. Change our hearts. Help us to see your design for romance, for love, for sex, in a way that we've never seen before. We ask that you do this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So welcome to RUF. If it's your first time, RUF is a Christian ministry on campus. We're here for Christians and non-Christians. So you're in the right place, wherever you are. And this is about Jesus. We're going to look, we're about to look at how Jesus provides the wisdom we need for this one specific part of our lives, romance, love, sex. And so it's kind of an audacious idea that like a man who lived 2,000 years ago would have anything to say to us about, you know, our love lives. But we believe that he's God. I believe he's God. I'm inviting you to believe that he's actually God. He's still alive. He still has something to say to us in his word. Um, so that's what RUF is. Uh, my name is Willis. I'm the campus pastor here. Uh, on my way driving here today, I was just rolling down Main Street in Lexington, and there comes a, cr- a truck crossing the cross street, and there's a big like dog cage, and in the back of it is just this giant goat. <laughs> and I was like, only in Lexington, Virginia. And I wanted to stop the truck and be like, hey, mister, there's something wrong with your dog. But I guess that's my dad joke. Dad jokes aside, whatever. What I really want you to know, aside from the fact that I'm not that funny, uh, is that I'm not a good person, but Jesus loves me, and that changes things. That changes everything. It changes the way we see sex and love. Eros is what we're calling it. I want to I intro this with this experience I had um, maybe like a week ago. Who's ever done a Via Ferrata? Okay, sweet. You guys are awesome. Who knows what a Via Ferrata is? Okay, a few more people. Basically, like, so it's a place called Nelson Rocks, West Virginia, two hours away. We should go sometime. It's fun. Um, these big, like, just spines of rock, hundreds of feet in the air. 
the kind of stuff that rock climbers get excited about. Um, and, um, and on these rocks, they have bolted with just these big stainless steel bolts and like big, fat, inch thick stainless steel cables, like a pathway. Via Ferrata is Italian for iron way. Okay, it's like, it's a pathway up into the mountains. And so you have this harness on and like clips and there's like actual rungs, like ladder rungs in the rock you can climb when it's like too steep to hang on to easily. And you clip your things onto the cables and it kind of slides along with you. So you're totally safe the entire time. And it's cool because it opens up this vertical realm with this iron way that makes you feel safe and secure despite the fact that like you're like scared of heights, which like everybody's a little scared. I'm a little scared, right? Like, but it opens up this freedom, this like, this iron way opens up uh, a mountainside to explore. And, and this image came to mind as I was thinking about my thesis for this series, which we're calling Eros Meets Logos. It's your first week, perfect week to have your, your first time here because we're starting a new series. And it's all about how we need God's wisdom for Eros, which I'll define in a second. We, in order to experience romance and love and sex and all this goodness, we actually need God's wisdom for that. It's like the iron way that it limits us. I mean, if you venture away from like the, the iron rungs and cables and you fall, like you're going to die. So like you stay there. It limits you and yet it opens it up to you. And to experience love as we're meant to, we need uh, we need God's word, which we're calling Logos. So I'm, I'm defining some definitions. I'm defining Eros. Um, it's that if you're taking Greek and you know that it's actually pronounced Eros, I'm just going to keep saying it the wrong way. I'm sorry. Eros, Logos, but we're probably going to say Eros and Logos. It's, it kind of rolls off the tongue better. But when I say Eros or Eros, whichever I say, I'm talking about the power that romantic love has on our lives, the power that sex has in our lives. So not just like sex itself, but the power, the sway that it exerts on all of us. Okay, so that's what I mean when I say eros. And it's got a lot of power in our lives. It's got a lot. I mean, um, it plays out in WNL in a hundred ways. I talk with you guys. I hear. There's a lot of things you don't tell me. Things you do tell me, I can see. It has power in our lives. One of them is like the party scene. I don't know if you've heard, but WNL has a pretty big sized party scene. So um, maybe news to some of you. Um, and I've heard some about that from y'all. Uh, one of you actually forwarded me an article today that I read, and um, they're from Cornell, which is like some not very good school. I don't know where it is, whatever. But um, anyway, they have a party scene there. This is a way to describe it. I wonder if it sounds familiar to you, okay? When we pack into dingy basements and drink watery beer in hope of finding a love interest, we're searching for something deeper, something more meaningful then pouring ourselves into proving we belong among America's elite. Ultimately, we go to parties with the hope of feeling desired, in a sexual sense at the surface, but at a deeper level, we hope for others to see us and to desire our presence. The party scene may look different here, but the need to be seen and loved is the same. It's the same. Parties are just one of a grab bag of experiences that shape how we approach romance and love, how we think about it, how we imagine it, how we pursue it. Disney, The Bachelor, what's the new, is it, far, yeah, you know. Farmer takes a wife, is it Farmer Wants a Wife? Farmer Wants a Wife, if you watch that. Oh, I haven't seen it, it sounds cool, I guess. <laughs> but even, even like TikTok, uh, we're still on TikTok, right? TikTok is still a thing? 
Okay, Bumble, the dating apps, Bumble, that's one of them. Tinder is obviously one of them. That's an old one now. Yeah, I'm not gonna ask you if you're on that. Isn't Hinge one? Hinge is one, I think. There's a lot of these, like all these things, and there's so many little evidences in our lives that we are struggling to figure out what to do with Eros. So let's look at some data. Some data. Okay, just look at one thing. How much later people are getting married? Okay, 55 years ago, average marriage age was 23 for men and 21 for women. So some of you in this room would like on average be already married 55 years ago. 20 years ago, it was 27 for men, 25 for women. Um, today it's 30 and 28, 30 for men, 28 for women. There's a trend here. I don't know if you notice it's getting older and older. Um, <laughs> Uh, only 29% of 18 to 34 year olds were married in 2018 versus 60% of the same age bracket in 1978. You'll have a lot of data on this from your own lives. Eros is complicated. Romance, talking. <laughs> like, it changes so fast. The way that I did it is so different from the way y'all do it. And so like, I'm speaking to what I see and what I hear, but I know that like the, the way it maps onto your reality, you're gonna have to help me out here, right? So I wanna talk to you about this. But I want you to hear this. As we start, you are deeply loved by God in the midst of your romantic relationships. You are deeply loved by God in the midst of your sexual history. You are deeply loved by God in the midst of your struggle to find love. And in this series, I wanna show you the iron way for romantic love and sex that God has given us in his word because he loves us. We're calling it Lagos. Borrowing a term from the Apostle John, John 1, Jesus is the word, that word, the word, word, is translating the word Lagos in Greek, which is like not just word, but like wisdom, the reason, the rationality, the wisdom of God. And Jesus himself, he is the embodied wisdom of God, the embodied, the flesh and blood wisdom of God, everything he taught, everything he did shows us God's wisdom. And he teaches us the wisdom we need in our lives, not just to be like good Christians who go to church and think the right things about God, but like the way we do romance, the way we get married, the way we have sex. So when I say Logos throughout this series, I mean God's wisdom on romantic love and sex, his wisdom. All right. So tonight we're going to see, this is tonight, that's like, this is a four-week series. Tonight, and then we like have senior share next week, and then the week off for the break, and then we're going to come back and finish it out strong with three more weeks. Okay, but tonight uh, we're going to look at the design. God's design for Eros in the first place. Even as he creates the world, he's revealing to us his design for Eros. And I want you to see that God made it on purpose, and he made it really, really good. He made it on purpose, and it was a good idea. To convince you that I want us to consider just two aspects of Eros, where we're going tonight, the purpose of Eros and the unexpected joy of Eros. The purpose of Eros, the unexpected joy of Eros. Let's go. Okay, the purpose of Eros. Genesis 1.27 is there on your paper. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. In this verse, we're going to see that at the most fundamental level, the purpose of Eros is to image God. What does that mean? So there's this old poem by, I don't know how to say his name, Percy Bysshe Shelley? I don't know. Some of you know how to say that name. But it, it's, you might recognize it. It says, one of the lines is, my name is Ozymandia. This guy is like walking through the desert and he sees like 
like uh, torsoless trunks of giant legs in the desert, just like the statue's been broken down, and then like the head is like falling on the ground beside it. And um, but he sees like the inscription beneath it, and it says, "My name is Ozymandias, King of Kings. Look on my works, ye mighty and despair." So this like this statue that's designed to like, if you come up to it, you're like, "Oh shoot, this King Ozymandias is like a bad dude. I should be worried and you know follow his laws or whatever." And this is just a poetic representation of this actual reality. Kings in the ancient Near East especially, they would put statues of themselves, <laughs> flattering statues probably, really big, strong, you know, scary, of themselves around their territory. Like, heads up, you're entering my territory now. This is what I'm like. This is my stuff. When God says, male and female, in his image, he's saying, I want you, men and women, to be a concrete representation of what I'm like, of who I am, to extend my rule and reign throughout the world in my place, to show the world something of what God is like, to show each other something of what God is like. God doesn't make statues, he makes people, okay? We're his image, and he makes us with a purpose, to concretely image him. This, this happens as we work, as we play, as we rest, as we exert our creative gifts. So like, I'm not just saying that it's only an eros and romance and love that we image God. It's like our whole lives. But because we were created to image God, eros is a way that we were supposed to show the world and each other something of what God is like. That's the purpose. I want you to notice something striking. It takes both men and women to concretely represent God the way he wants to be represented. This is kind of revolutionary for the ancient Near East that like women would actually be equal with men. So that's cool. Like men and women both equally are portraying to the world God the way he is. There are aspects of God's character that can only be concretely represented by women. There's aspects of God's character that can only be concretely represented by men. There's aspects of God's character that can only be concretely represented by men and women together in relationship. One of the ways that happens is when a man and a woman make eye contact across the room and they notice each other. And then there's like a conversation and then there's like a hundred conversations and some dates. And then they get engaged and they get married and they have sex and they have babies. Like that's the way it's supposed to be. That's showing the world something of what God is like. He says in the very next verse, And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. When men and women pursue one another and covenant together in marriage and have sex and have babies, this pleases God. <laughs> it's not just like us doing our thing. Like God designed it that way. He wants that. It, re it concretely represents things about God that nothing else does. His self-giving love, his faithful commitment to his people, the way he pursues us, the way he offers his own life for us. You can, you can show the world that in other ways, but there's a specific way that it happens and is portrayed in romantic love and marriage and sex that nothing else portrays. That's why he made it. So the main purpose, I'm saying, the main purpose of Eros is to lead you and your beloved into a concrete experience and expression of the goodness of God. So your concept of God's goodness might have to change if we're saying that Eros shows us something about who he is. 
Um, this means, this means, guys, eros at its most basic level is not about you, which is actually really good news. Your dating relationship, it's not about you. Your search for love, it's not about you. The sex that you'll one day have with your spouse isn't about you. One reason the sexual experiences you have now feel a little off is because they often are about you or they're about the other person or you've made them about the other person, not about God. They're not being enjoyed in the way that they were meant to be enjoyed. But we were made to experience and to express the transcendent, otherworldly goodness of God on his terms in this life. Discovering and living into the terms, into the iron way, into the, the logos, that's where we find the joy, the freedom, the delight in Eros that we were made for, that we long for. Okay, so that's kind of the first, the first concept I want you to hear. God made love, romance, sex on purpose. It's good. He wants you to enjoy it in his way. And we can find out his way in his word. So let's see one more aspect, just in this first book of the Bible, Genesis. One more aspect of God's, God's iron way for love. How Eros meets Logos in Genesis. And it's the unexpected joy of Eros. So we see the unexpected joy of Eros. Genesis is kind of cool. Genesis 1 is like, summary, God creates everything you know, seven days, boom, 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 boom. And it doesn't say very much about men and women except that we're made in God's image and be fruitful and multiply. And then Genesis 2, the next chapter, it zooms in specifically on that day where God creates men and women and tells us more about it. And here's what it says. Then the Lord God said, it's not good that the man should be alone. I'll make him a helper fit for him. We're going to talk about, we're going to talk about that word helper. Now out of the ground, the Lord God had formed every beast of the field, birds of heaven, called them to the man of the city, would name them. We're, kind of, we're not going to talk about this part. It's a great part. We could talk about it for a long time, but we're not going to. So we're skipping over that. Um, but for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up his place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made, paradoxically, into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh flesh she shall be called woman because she was taken out of man and therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh and the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed so this passage you can just keep going back here for a whole year make all your devos for the next year devotionals on this passage because it has so much for us it's like the foundation for marriage it's the guidebook for relationship with your parents after marriage it's like a manifesto for sex. It has this weird part about the rib that I want to talk about in a second. Like, I'll talk about that, and then we're going to look at two main points that I really want you to like, focus in on. So first, the rib. What's going on with the rib? Man was made from the dust. Eve's made from the rib of the man. I mean, if God is God, he can create stuff out of wherever, whatever he wants, right? So it's not that hard to believe. Like, if Jesus can rise from the dead, he can create a man out of the dust or a woman out of a rib. That's fine. But like, why? What's going on here? What are we supposed to see? The point of this passage, I think part of the point, uh, there's probably a lot more, but part of the point I want you to see is that men and women are both fundamentally different and also intimately connected in our very nature. Made different of different stuff. I'm not saying that like the biological cells in men and women now are different. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying like 
In the very beginning, in this story, God is telling us, you're made different. You're different, real different, and yet intimately connected. I mean, when Adam wakes up, he's like, oh, shoot. Oh, shoot. <laughs> he realizes something happened, and he's connected with this woman. So that's all I'm going to say about it. Very different, intimately connected, made for each other. What I want to focus on in this passage here, the unexpected joy of our needs being met and the unexpected joy of unashamed nakedness. All right. The first joy is our needs being met. It's not good that the man should be alone. I'll make him a helper fit for him. So after, if you read Genesis 1, every single thing God creates, he's like, that's good. That's good. Man, that's good. Very good. Like he loves all of it. It's all perfect. The first thing in the entire world that's not good is that the man is alone. It's not good. It's bad. He needs a helper. And that word helper might trigger us, right? You might be like, helper, that sounds a little like, what's the word? Belittling? You know, like diminutive, uh, if that's how you say that word. Um, is this saying that women are just like men's little helpers, secondary made for servitude? It's actually not. Um, the Hebrew word for helper is ezer. The next, and when you find a word in the Bible that you don't know what it means, you got to look at how else that word is used in the Bible in a similar context, right? And so the next time this word shows up in the Bible is 1 Kings 20. In that time, it describes warrior kings who are allied with another king in battle. So it's more like a powerful ally. That word is there, helper, a powerful ally. First Chronicles 12, God himself is described as the helper, the protector of King David, of this king. Like he is in a way the savior of King David. God is his helper. So helper in Genesis 2 is there, is a word of strength, ability, capacity. It's not talking about like sexual availability or housekeeping or cooking. It's talking about a woman concretely representing God to her man in a way that only she can, that nobody else can, in a way that he desperately needs. I had this, um, I moved into my house, <laughs> by my house, like, great, we bought a house. Now we're crushed with massive debt. Awesome. <laughs> Adulting. And like the next week, I walk out of my back door. And I smell like the rotten egg gas smell. And I'm like, <coughs> awesome, great. So I call the gas company. And I'm like, hey, I've got a gas leak in my house. Come fix it. And so they drive out and they do the test. And it's like, there's a leak right outside my house. Long story short, I have to like start calling gas workers to come and like fix the problem. I thought about for a second doing it on my own. Then I decided I didn't want to die and my whole family to die. So I like hired it out. And these, these awesome dudes came and like, they fixed the problem. And they were my helper. They had expertise I didn't have. They had capacity I didn't have. They had know-how I didn't have. And I was really thankful for it. And this is the kind of help that we're seeing here. Men, we don't like to need stuff. We don't like to need help. We don't like, we don't like to need to be saved. We don't like to need to be helped by somebody else's strength. We want to help others with our strength, right? Like we like doing that. And you were made for that too, right? Men are made to use our strength to protect and provide care for your wife, others. All that is true. But you also need her. You need her at an existential level. It's what you were made for. You need the woman. Men, you need the woman God has marked out for you. You just need her. You've got to go find her. And when you find her, you'll find the unexpected joy of the help that you need. That you might not have known you needed. Women know that your purpose, this is not saying that like your purpose is subsumed into this one thing of being this 
ally, powerful helper of the man. It's not saying that. Your purpose is to image God in ways that only you can, which is a massive calling that entails all of life. We've already talked about that. But it's saying one particular way, like it's so much more than this, but it's not less than this. One particular way that you experience and express your purpose given by God is to be this helper that your husband needs. As you find that, as you live into that, you find something you need. You express part of the purpose you were made for. If this is really offensive to you, well, please come talk to me afterward. I would love to talk about the ins and the outs. I want to keep going here, though. To sum this up, eros meets logos. When a man and a woman stop coming to each other, looking just to have their own needs met, but to generously meet the needs of the other person in ways God has uniquely equipped each gender to do. And that represents God's character. It's what we were made for. So let's look at this next thing. All right, right. We're going fast. One more thing. This next unexpected joy. The unexpected joy of unashamed nakedness. That's right. It's already a flower group. I'm a preacher and I said the word naked. Yes. Don't you love how straight up and just like wonderful, kind of like shocking and uh, yeah, plain the Bible is. It's not prudish. It's not puritanical or stuffy. God didn't see the naked, you know, man and woman he made and be like, oh, no, no, it's right there in the Bible. They're naked and unashamed. Verse 28, we live our lives covering what we don't want to be seen, right? We live our lives trying to become something that we're not so that we might not be ashamed to be seen for who we truly are. We live our lives longing to find someone that we could finally be truly just real and open and vulnerable with, right? Like that they would really just see us who we are, not who we wish we were, pretend to be, and actually love us. And we're terrified by that thought of actually letting down our guard and being that real with them. We're terrified of that. Our world teaches us to cover up, hide, pretend, perhaps nowhere more so than in our romantic lives. Right? Y'all have conversations with your friends like, well, when do I tell them about this? When do I let her know about this? Like, shall I let her know? You know, like, we, we have to think about this stuff. And yet our world also condemns us. Our own hearts condemn us when we're inauthentic, when we're shy, when we're fearful. No wonder, Gen Z, you guys, no wonder you prefer dating apps to dating in person. That's what the stats say. You'd rather have an app than a person, right? You'd rather have an app than, like, you know, I'm not going to make a judgment about it. I'm just saying it's real. There's something about safety about like having that phone in front of you. Uh, y'all want to text for six months before you go on a real date? Like, no wonder. No wonder you feel like you need the help of alcohol to loosen up and flirt with someone. No wonder you may want the intimacy of a casual hookup without the vulnerability of actually being known. And Genesis 2 is saying you were made for something way better. Way better. And in Christ... You can begin to pursue that in this life. You don't have to wait for heaven. You can pursue that in this life. If you know, listen guys, this is like where it kind of connects, okay? I don't want you to just like walk away with a different playbook of like how to date and like how to ask someone on a date. I want the, the core of your heart to, to empower a totally different way of doing love and romance and sex. And this is what it is. If you know that you're loved by God and you find someone who also knows themselves to be loved by God, and you make a covenant to love one another like God loves you, to live your whole lives together with God's help, that's the beautiful room in which you can stand naked with your lover and be unashamed, unafraid, 
joyful. That covenant relationship is the iron way that sets us free on the mountains of Eros. That's the place love can flourish. That's the place sex can flourish. That's the place romance can flourish. That's the place poetry can flourish. Listen to Adam. He sees for the first time his wife, and the first poem in the history of the world happens. Just springs to his lips. This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. I just want you all to find the unexpected joy of Eros. To find like hope of something new in the the nooks and crannies, the twists and turns of like the hardship that I know is your reality around romance. I want you to be unsatisfied with porn, hookup culture. I want you to be unsatisfied with dating and want marriage, right? I'm not saying don't date. I'm saying there's a bigger thing going on here. I want you to long for that, to long for marriage. I want you to long to find the person that God has for you. I want you to not have enough time for all the other people that you kind of wish that you could just be satisfied with because it would be nice to be like loved by someone and with someone. I want you to be unsatisfied with that person and able to wait for the person that you know you were made for. I want you to take bold steps towards marriage and I want you to do that following this iron way God lies out for us in his word that you could have the experience more and more of being naked and unashamed. How can that happen? It doesn't begin with sex. It doesn't begin with marriage. It begins by being known and loved by Jesus. Jesus knows all your romantic struggles. He knows all your sexual shame, baggage, and sin. He knows about it. He's not surprised by it. You might not tell anybody else. Jesus already knows. And guess what? He paid for all of it on the cross. Right? He paid for it. It's handled. It might be hard for you to believe that, but he says it's true. He did it because he loves you. And you stand before him naked. (laughs) There's no hiding. Exposed, and he clothes you with white robes of righteousness. Right? You can be unashamed before him, before God. And if you can be unashamed before God, maybe we can figure out a way to be unashamed with other people. We're going to keep going. We're going to see a lot more the rest of this series. But it's about being loved by Jesus. Loved into new life. Loved into a new experience of romance. Loved into new wisdom on sex. Loved into new freedom for our sexual struggles. Jesus loves you and it changes. It can change, guys, the way that we do eros, romance. So come back for the rest of the series. All right? That's the application. Keep coming back. Love Jesus. Learn yourself to be loved by Jesus, and it'll change everything. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for, man, kind of a whirlwind tour on Genesis. There's more than we can wrap our heads around. I pray that you would put in our hearts, Jesus, the hope for something better. That the bitterness in our hearts would turn to hope and expectation and longing for you to lead us into something better that you can give us that we can never earn for ourselves, that we can never work out on our own, through our own best efforts. Jesus, just give us the grace that we long for, that we need, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.